because I believe science might offer an answer to the curse of the Bambino. Why someone took so long to hire that guy is beyond me. Anybody who's not tearing their team down right now and rebuilding it using your model, they're dinosaurs. One of the great things about money is it, it buys a lot of things. One of which is the luxury to disregard what baseball likes, doesn't like, what baseball thinks, doesn't think. It's a threatening, not just a way of doing business, but, it's, but in their minds, it's threatening the game. How can you not be romantic about baseball? All right. Here we are in another Baseball Ops podcast. Special guest today. We have a medical doctor on board. Um, you know, excited. I love talking to medical professionals. Um, this is one that's also really have specialized in baseball, which is perfect for us. But this is, we have on the line, Dr. Ryan Hess. So thanks for being on, Dr. Hess. Yeah, thanks, Brent. I appreciate the invitation. I appreciate it very much. So let's uh, get, everyone, I want everybody to get to know you. So kind of sure. talk about your uh, your kind of mission in life and, and what, what you've become and how you got here kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know how far you want to go back, I guess, but I, I uh, small small town kid from Minnesota. I grew up on a dairy farm, so kind of that whole folksy thing, and uh, was was a reasonably good baseball player in high school, and ended up kind of hurting my shoulder a little bit and affected my ability to play kind of to my full potential. But played a little bit of college baseball and uh, pr- soon realized that no one was going to pay me to play uh, baseball at any point in my life, so I needed to hit the library a little bit more and maybe play a little best, a little less baseball. And so that's what I did and ended up going to, to a medical school and found my way into orthopedic residency. And so I did my orthopedic surgery residency in Nebraska at the university of Nebraska medical center. And then, uh, decided somewhere along the line that sports medicine was of interest to me as a subspecialty. And, and so I did a sports medicine fellowship with Dr. James Andrews in uh, Pensacola, Florida at the Andrews Institute. And so that was a, a really beneficial year for uh, for me to kind of learn a lot about a lot of different things but one of the areas of course where he has a lot of uh, specialty is throwing athletes and uh, ulnar collateral ligament reconstruction and, and uh, other throwing injuries and so I got to learn a lot about that during that year and so that was uh, that was a great year and then after that I spent three years at the University of South Carolina where I was one of the uh, assistant team physicians there for the uh, for for the athletes there, and also was one of the uh, team doctors for South Carolina State University. So I uh, was able to take care of some high-level athletes there and worked with a couple of great uh, physicians there, Dr. Jeff Guy and Chris Mazaway, who also have done a lot of great work in this area. And then about three years ago, uh, my, my wife and I had a little boy, and, and she's from Iowa. I'm from Minnesota originally, and so we decided maybe it was time to get a little bit closer to family. And so there was an opportunity in the Twin Cities uh, for for a sports medicine uh, orthopedic surgeon here, and we uh, thought long and hard about it, and decided to to come back to the uh, to Minnesota to the metro area. So I've been back in Minnesota working with a, a group called Twin Cities Orthopedics now for about three years, and kind of trying to build my practice back here. That's awesome. So you're you're a bit of both. You're a medical doctor in the field with baseball, and you're a father. And I'm I'm assuming your son's playing baseball too, right? So he's four, uh, but he actually had his first, <laughs> he had his first t-ball practice last week. So that's exciting. Uh, it's exciting to see him out there. He's uh, he's pretty interested in it. He's pretty gung ho. But we'll we'll see how it evolves. I'm sure things will change over time. But uh, for now, at least he's interested in it. It's exciting to watch the kids do stuff, especially at that little age when when there's a little bit barely controlled chaos out there. So I mean, let's let's kind of go with that. I think that gives you. Um 
a little bit more. I'm not that, not that you don't have empathy, but I, I'm sure it gives you a lot of empathy when you yeah. have some of these young kids coming into your office with some some you know throwing related injuries. Uh, being a father as well, talk about. Um, I mean, talk about what you're seeing in the game today with with your practice, um, the type of injuries that are coming in. Um, is do you feel like we're st- we still need to get more education out there? What, what do you, are we getting better? Do you feel like things are getting better? Are we getting worse? Can you can you kind of give us a perspective just yeah. from your practice? Yeah, I think that's a great question. It's probably a really good place for us to start as well. So. I think to to one of your first points in the question there, what, you know, what kind of things am I seeing? And and I think, you know, I'm seeing a lot of different things. Some some traumatic injuries, which you're going to see, you know, injuries from sliding and diving and things like that that are just going to happen. But the thing that I think concerns most physicians and and people who are taking care of young athletes is the overuse type injuries that we are seeing. And of course, the the concern there is, you know, kids are playing baseball year round in many cases and. I wondered if when I moved from South Carolina to Minnesota, if that would diminish just a little bit, because obviously the weather's quite a bit different. And, and as it turns out, it really hasn't changed that much. And in, in the metro area, at least uh, here, there are a lot of uh, domes that get erected in the, in the wintertime. And so there are a number of ways for, for kids to keep throwing and hitting and, and uh, other things in the off season. And so where in the past, I think there was sort of a natural off season because of the weather in northern states, I think that's gone away in some measure. And so I'm seeing a lot of sort of repetitive overuse injuries, sometimes even down as low as like, you know, 12, 13, 14 years old. And and that makes it challenging uh, because there are so many kids that are specializing in one sport, even from a very young age, and trying to say, gosh, you know, guys, it might be time to take a little time and, and you know, either take time off from throwing or try another sport and that that can be a really challenging conversation to have with uh, with a family right and do you see i mean when you were even back at andrews institute do you feel like there is a this is getting worse you know these the the constant like all your playing the overuse or do you feel and do you feel parents are getting more educated or less yeah i think it's probably somewhere in the middle I, i think that the the amount of single sport specialization is growing. And I think that that's something that we're all concerned about and how do we address that and and how do we make that better? I think in general, patients and families' knowledge about things is improving, but I think it's improving more slowly relative to the rate of sport specialization. Mm -hmm. I think that that creates a tough situation where, uh, you know, of course, all parents and families, you know, no one wants to see their kid get injured. But, uh, you know, I think that there's also a, a flip side to that, which is they, many families and kids want to maximize their potential, which in and of itself is fantastic, of course. But there are sort of safe and unsafe ways by which to do that. And, and I worry that sometimes we're erring on the side of doing too much and, and we, we see some of these overuse injuries as a result. Right. So what are you preparing for with your son? If he, if he becomes really interested in baseball like you were, what are you preparing for? Are you planning to lay this out very different than how you grew up? Or are you trying to bring maybe some of the things back from when you were grew up? I mean, are, are, yeah. you, are, are you planning this out at this point? Even I know it's four. It might be too, a little too early. Yeah. But. No, it, you know, it's, it's certainly something that I've been thinking about, of course. And, you know, you and I are pretty close to the same age. And, uh, you know, back when I was in high school pitching, 
you know, there really wasn't an emphasis on pitch counts or, you know, over overuse as much. I mean, we sort of generally sort of knew what was going on, but there certainly wasn't like a number that you hit and, hey, you need to be done for the day or anything like that. It, I think when I was in high school, I threw over 130 pitches in a game like seven times my <laughs> senior year, something like that, right. you know, and, and, you know, in retrospect, obviously that was probably a little silly, but at the time, you know, this was 20 plus years ago, you know, it, it just was a different environment. So, yeah, you know, I think certainly I would do things differently for my son than how we did it when I was in school. And and most people would probably say the same, but I, I think that there's still a lot of work to be done on, you know, how, how do we do it better? You know, certainly I think that some components of it are, are in place. There are a lot of High school associations in the United States that have uh, have adopted the pitch smart, pitch count regulations and rest requirements and those sort of things, and I think that that's an awfully good start. But you know, some of these things where where situations where kids are playing in more than one league, or um, you know, playing all year round, the the single game pitch counts don't necessarily get to the heart of all of that, all of those issues. And so I think there's there's more to learn. You know, I think hopefully. Uh, my my son will uh, be talented enough where he can play other sports as well, and and I'm hopeful that he doesn't want to specialize at a young age. And I suppose it's one of those things we'll have to cross the bridge when we come to it. But uh, it, I think that I'll certainly have, hopefully, be in a good place to use the knowledge that I have to to make make the situation as good as it can be made. Why why do you feel a lot of medical doctors take the approach with athletes m- more? focused on bringing down overuse as opposed to getting into other, you know, forms of development that could ultimately also have the same effect, basically helping the body be able to handle more use. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's an excellent question. So I, uh, I, I happened to be in a kind of a Q and a with, uh, former baseball pitcher, Jim Cott. Uh, this was probably a year and a half ago or something like that. And I asked him, you know, gosh, we sure seem to be seeing a lot more arm and elbow injuries now than we did in, in years past. And, you know, what is your opinion, uh, Mr. Cod, on why we're seeing this stuff? Is it, you know, kids are throwing too much? Are they not throwing enough? And I would tell you, I sure don't know the answer. And and he sort of said the same thing, you know, yeah, I, I think that we need to get arms in better shape. But how do you do that best? You know, is it is it more targeted throwing is it you know more interval throwing you know are there certain strategies that can be used to to try to optimize arm strength and and overall body strength without placing people at risk for these overuse injuries and i I think that that's really difficult uh question to to answer overall yeah i mean and and unfortunately i think the the modalities for you know, developing throwing athletes are, um, have been so limited and poor. I've worked very hard just in my own methods to proprietize a lot of new drills based on different, uh, really a different understanding of what I believe is the problem. I mean, what do you think of this? Like um, my, my philosophy approach is, and it's a lot of just looking at the research is this is a kinetic chain that we're dealing with, with the, with the body and that, we're not going to fix the arm injuries by strengthening the arm. It's like, yeah. just like in yeah. sprinters, if we get a lot of hamstring pulls, I'm not just going to sit up there and try to strengthen their hamstrings even mm-hmm. more. 
it, it, yeah. to me, it's the kinetic chain. It's we've got to see how the rest of the body can support that part of the body that's taking all the abuse. Don't you think that's a probably where I, we're, we're missing the boat? Everyone thinks it's just arm strength, but it, yeah. I mean, is it really arm strength? <laughs> no, I, I think you're a hundred percent correct. I, to your question a little bit earlier, which was, you know, how, what is the reason that most medical professionals approach it in that way? And I think part of it, honestly, is because biomechanics are really complicated. And it, it's really hard to understand that at a high level. You know, I'm certainly not a biomechanist. I'm not a, a someone who's involved in, in kinesiology or something. And, and I have probably as much background in that area as most uh, physicians that are involved in sports medicine. So even for me, it's, it's very difficult to understand some of that stuff. So I, I think part of it is just, it's, it's easier to say, gosh, we need to just cut back than it is to really understand and um, go through all the complex kinetic chain movements that are necessary. And, you know, so I think that that's part of, part of that. One, one thing that uh, I will sometimes tell kids in my clinic that are dealing with arm injuries and, and I say, you know, Hey, we need to get you in, uh, some rest from throwing until you're feeling better. And then we need to work with some physical therapy to kind of work on improving your mechanics, improving your body movements and all this sort of thing. And they say, well, gosh, doc, I, I work out every day. I'm really strong. And I say, yeah, sure. You know, someone can be strong, but imagine yourself if, if you come to the balance point where you, you're, when you're pitching, you come to the balance point and then without moving any part of your body, you just throw the ball towards the plate. You know, how fast do you think you could throw that? Maybe 15 miles an hour or something. <laughs> right. And if you then follow through on your windup on the next throw and throw to the plate, you know, you can throw much, much harder, of course. So what does that tell you? That tells you that simply the strength of your arm doesn't mean a whole lot. You have to be able to transfer all that injury, all that energy from your foot, which is the only thing that's touching the ground at that point, all the way out to the tips of your fingers and transfer that energy to the baseball. So clearly there's a huge energy transfer that has to happen from your foot to your hand. And that to your point, that involves every single muscle group between those two areas and probably more to do that efficiently and effectively and safely. So that's why I tell them is, you know, you, we can strengthen you all you want, but until you get everything working together, you're certainly going to place certain areas at risk if, you, if everything isn't working together in the appropriate order and grouping and all that sort of thing. Exactly. I mean, well said. And I feel like we've kind of hit critical mass in sports where – there's so, so many people around the world are plugged in to sports that the competition is so high uh, and obviously money is involved. So I don't see it's, – it's just at a point where if we have the, the medical professionals say slow down or do yeah. less and then the sport and the money and the competition saying yeah. do more, go faster, it, 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 nothing's going to be improved and, and evolve. And unfortunately, I think we just have to accept the fact that, yeah, of course, you need do need to understand how to regulate things. But like the other day when John Smoltz came out and said that, you know, if he had to play this game today where everything was max effort and all this weightlifting, that he would have lasted half his career. And you know what? He's probably right. But then the solution is that we shouldn't be doing those things. But those things is what is allowed yes. these kids to compete now on a world stage because they can enhance their bodies and push themselves yep. harder to be more competitive. So the solution, it can't be slow down. The solution has got to be, how do we do this better? Right. <laughs> I, I think this is exactly correct. So I, I gave a lecture about a month ago now on, on this sort of epidemic of UCL injuries and, and almost exactly your question, you know, why are we seeing this issue? 
And if you look at uh, things in, in Major League Baseball, so things like fastball velocity, um, number of pitches per pitchers per game, number of pitches per at-bat, uh, and things like uh, slugging average and uh, batting average against when your fastball is like 90 compared to when it's 100 plus. You know, basically, like the slugging and batting average get cut in half as your fastball goes from 90 to 100. So clearly, there's an emphasis on being able to throw with velocity. And I don't see how you can, to your point exactly, I don't see how you can get away from that because it's so effective. So I, I, I agree. I think that at the end of my talk, I said, you know, we need to try to find a way to do this better. But I said, I have no idea what the answer is because there's so there's a whole industry that's been that's risen up around trying to to maximize the potential of athletes, which, of course, in and of itself is great. But we have to try to modify this in some way to try to uh, keep keep as many of these athletes in the game as we can. Yeah, it's that collateral damage. And mm -hmm. it's unfortunate because, I, and you know, the thing is, I think this is evolving better where the money is than where the money isn't. So on the recreational level, on the youth level, I think it's it's a mess. It's 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 abusive. Yeah. Like we would never take a, a million dollar pitcher and take him from pitching a complete game and then or or pitching five innings and then go put him in the outfield or put him at shortstop. But we'll do this to a youth yeah. pitcher. We'd yeah. never combo a catcher pitcher at a professional level. We would never pitch you know, over pitch a pitcher two days in a row because this is a big tournament. Like the the thing is, I think we're doing better with monitoring these athletes. And I, I mean, it's even hard to say we're doing better because I don't even feel like we really we are. But I can see it working better at the where the money is at the high professional yeah. levels than I do at the youth levels. Do you see the same thing? Absolutely. That's something that Dr. Andrews said all the time. He said it almost exactly like you said. It is I think we've got all this this all backwards. You know, we've got the most you know, money and most experienced and, and at the highest levels. And really the, the people who need this the most are the, the youth baseball players and, and the youth athletes that are most at risk uh, for, for getting injured. So I, I think you're, you're totally right. And, and back to the, back to what you said earlier, which is how do you fix that? And I think that's really challenging. And I think the biggest key is just trying to get education, access to, to knowledge. And just as an example, uh, a couple of years ago here, not long after I, moved back to Minnesota, we asked a, a local youth baseball association if we could come and give like a 15-minute talk at their parent meeting before the season, just say, hey, you know, introduce ourselves, you know, here's here's what we're about, here are some things that you can watch out for as your young athletes are going through the season, and and here are some warning signs that there might be trouble, and, and you know, here's something, uh, an avenue which we can uh, have available to try to make that better, and basically the youth baseball association had said yeah thanks but no thanks we're good and you're just kind of scratching your head like okay you know i i can only do some do so much with what you guys allow me to do and so then of course you know through the season we see four or five kids off that team and you're just like you know could we have prevented this with if we had been able to get in there a little bit and, and who knows maybe those things were going to happen anyway but uh it's there's an education piece that i think we, we could do better and and uh i think we need to do better well, you, we were talking about before we got into the interview about how parents don't really understand who is going to, you know, where to get the advice and what to do and the correct steps. I mean, what's your advice on that now that you're becoming a parent, kind of moving into this, this, uh, this game? Like, what's your advice to parents to make sure they're they're getting the right information? 
I think that that's also really hard because, of course, many coaches and people are involved with the team are, are going to and, – and I think that many of them do really know what they're talking about and, and have the kids' best interests at heart. But it, I think it's very challenging to expect coaches to, to have the same level of understanding as uh, someone who's involved in healthcare, or an athletic trainer or someone like this who really sees injured athletes regularly. Um, so I, I think it's really challenging as a parent to, to know who to trust. And, you know, if this person says, hey, I, I know what I'm doing, you know, I, I've, I've taken care of a lot of kids and, you know, I haven't had injuries very extensively and that sort of thing. You know, I think it's it's hard to know until you're put in that position of, of your kid being hurt. You know, do I trust this person? And I, I think it's a really tough spot to put parents in because, like like we said earlier, nobody wants to see their kid get hurt. And so I know that all the parents have their heart in the right place. And so I, I think the advice is, to, to your question, I think the advice is, you know, I think ask around. You know, mo- most uh, most teams are going to have somebody on on that team or a parent who's had another kid who has dealt with an injury. And you know, where did you go? And how was your experience there? And and I think if we could somehow uh, work out a way where athletic trainers were more accessible, uh, I think that the athletic trainer is such a critical component of the sports medicine team being able to recognize injuries and try to delineate, you know, what's worrisome, what needs to see a physician right away, what can be rehabbed for a little bit. And I think probably that's really a big part of it is how, how can we get better access to athletic trainers and other people with knowledge uh, for these young athletes? Yeah. And, and I think, I think every industry needs this. I mean, the medical industry needs this. There needs to be some type of counselor or liaison that you know, can the parent can sit down with and, the, and then they can give them the recommendations. All right. You need to go to this trainer, yeah. this strength coach, this doctor, this pitching coach. Like these are the ones that are going to give you the, the best advice. And for these reasons, like don't let your trainer give you biomechanics advice yeah. if he doesn't have the expertise. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, don't let your uh, coach give you medical advice. You know, it's like, yeah. It's it's like why isn't there these counselors out there for these parents? Because what happens is the parent who went through the ranks with their kid, you know, from six to you know eighteen, they have all this experience. I, I run them into all the time. They love going around helping all the other parents because they have the experience now. They've seen it. Yeah. They know what to do, what not to do. You'd think someone would have built a profession out of that. You know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, it is. It, it's an interesting thought. I think in a lot of ways. It, if you can get an athletic trainer around, I think an athletic trainer can do a great job of serving a lot of those roles. But, but to your point earlier, I think it, you have to follow the money. You know, someone has to fund those athletic trainers. They have to be able to make a living doing it. And it, it's at that level, it's really hard to, to find the avenue to get that in place. Even despite how important it is and how helpful I think that it could be, you know, there are some, some of those financial hurdles, which is, a bummer, uh, but that's sort of the, the world we live in. So I know that uh, our our medical group and other medical groups in in uh, the United States are trying to trying to do that, fund athletic trainers and and get them into these youth leagues. And I think it's becoming better over time. Uh, but there certainly isn't a we're not yet at a point where every young athlete has access to an athletic trainer. And certainly we're a little bit lucky that we live in a large metro area. It's probably better in the metro areas than it is for the smaller cities outside of the metro area that just really don't have as ready access. I mean, I, even a couple of weeks ago, I saw a young uh, thrower from, from like six hours away who had, had driven down to come and see me because they had been kind of getting some, 
some bad advice and uh, from from where they were being treated locally and had been doing some throwing rehab with a chiropractor. And, and no offense intended to a chiropractors or anything, but their level of expertise specific to throwing is probably not great. And so I, it's some of that stuff where just access is, is really a challenge. No, I get it. And then people try to wear or professionals try to wear more hats than they should be wearing. Um, mm-hmm. I and I mean, I heard there was a horrible story. I, I interviewed this kid who had uh, two serious throwing related injuries to weighted balls. And the after the first injury, he had to, he had torn his labrum. So they sutured his uh, labrum. And I guess, what do they do? They, I think it was a slap tear. They drill it into the chromium or yep. is that what they do? In- the, to the glenoid or the socket, yeah, if, that, if that's what we're the first lap tear, correct, yeah. So the the kid goes to a back to another pitching coach because he doesn't have full range of motion, right? Uh, I mean, it's mm-hmm. hard, I'm, I don't want to be lied about this, but the the coach tells him well, we're going to use weighted balls because weighted balls are known to increase range of motion, right? Well, the kid immediately starts having pain, so the, he tells the coach. The coach says, "Oh, that's just the scar tissue." Huh. And he keeps through this pain and this progression of pain, and so, and he injures it again. He goes back to the doctor who had done the surgery, and the doctor says, "Son, you know what you were doing? That pain was you ripping the sutures out of your your arm." Yeah. And that's the problem yeah. here. It's like he he he. You know, once you experience pain, you got to get away from the coach who it really isn't educated. Um, to, to give you that kind of advice at that point, don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. I, like anything else, I think communication is really key. You know, everybody sort of has to be in contact with everybody else. I, I had a kid recently who I, uh, was a high school sophomore that I ended up doing a Tommy John on last year and he was not yet cleared to play from our end and ended up throwing and making he was playing sort of without us knowing about it and and was playing outfield no less and tried to hose somebody at home plate from the outfield and tweaked his elbow and we're sort of working through it now but it may have may have re-injured his elbow and and that that's the thing you know you just have to be constantly communicating and and even sometimes when you're doing doing the best that you can some of this stuff still comes up so I, it it can be really a challenge to get everybody on the same page but i, I think that that's where uh Communication is so important, you know, between the coaches, between athletic trainers. Everybody just has to be on the same page because, again, it, it's so hard for the kid in that spot, right? He's getting different advice from people that he trusts, and it's really difficult to expect a kid to discern who's giving me good advice for who's giving me not so good advice. So I don't, you know, you can't put the responsibility on them. The responsibility has to be on us to do better. Right, and then and then sometimes too. I mean, to kind of. Uh don't take this the wrong way to go, go at your profession is sometimes I'll hear medical doctors tell a kid that, you know, because say he has a back related issue, the doctor says you should never squat again. And it almost sounded like the doctor just doesn't believe in squatting, you know, cause it is hard on the back. Yeah. And then they tell this kid he can never squat again. Well, if that kid is an average athlete, that could potentially prevent him, you know, from really building some lower half power that, I would allow him to play at a high level, I, and and to me the question is really, I mean, is 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 it really that bad that he should never do this again, or or am I getting the advice from the right person? I don't. I mean, what? How would no. you? What was your interpretation yeah, on that? I think that, you know, I, every situation is different, of course, but I I think I would say that one of the more valuable portions 
of my training with Dr. Andrews and, and really probably any sports medicine fellowship, but probably especially with Dr. Andrews where we saw so many really high-level athletes, was that you sort of get a, a, some insight into the athlete mindset that you may, might not otherwise have. So I, I totally agree with you. When I'm trying to, when I'm seeing a patient and trying to figure out what's going on with them and get them back to activity, you're exactly right. The question isn't, what should we not be doing? It's more, how can we work to get you do, back to doing the things that you need to do and want to do? Right. And so I think that that's, I think, don't do this is the easy answer. Right. And so that's probably why it gets played out that way sometimes. But that you're correct in my estimation that I don't think that that's always the right answer. Uh, I think a lot of times you have to look for the deeper cause. You know, why are we having this issue and, and if we are, what can we do to make it better? And then in the future, how can we work to prevent that from recurring? And that's a very different thing to me, at least, from saying, just don't do that. Yeah, because it kind of falls in the line of the overuse, you know, well, just do less and, and don't do that. Like, the, what's going to happen if that kid has a true desire to do it? He's going to defy you, and then he's going to lose ultimately he's going to turn against your profession. Like, yeah. so you, yeah. if you know a kid's going to do what, whatever he wants to do, it doesn't matter what you say. It's probably better off saying, look, let me help you do this. It's kind of like, if you, you know, unfortunately, if, like if you know your kids are going to do drugs and you just know your kid's going to do drugs, wouldn't you rather say, look, let me teach you how this all works, the consequences. Yeah. I, I would rather be, if you're going to do this on your own will, I would rather still be involved in helping you through the process than just wanting to wash my hands clean of it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think <laughs> I, you're absolutely right. I, I think that trying to build trust with any, any athlete, but especially young athletes and their parents is such an important part of it. And, and I think that's why, like you said earlier, you have to find a, a, a physician or, or healthcare person that you trust and, and, trying to impress on them early on that, hey, you, you know, I've got your best interests at heart here and I'm going to try to help you see, you know, here's how I think we need to approach this and it's going to require some work, but, uh, you know, we're going to get you back doing what you really want to be doing and what you love to do. And and that that's a big part of it is just being able to to build trust with families and patients. And, and if you can do that, and, and I'm not sure I'm the best at it yet, I'm hoping to get better over time, but I, I think that that's such an important part of of being a good sports medicine physician they just and, and probably a physician in general but they just sort of have to they have to trust you when when they come into your office and sit down and talk with you you know they have to know that you care and that you're invested in trying to get them back to doing what they want to do wouldn't you support too if they have the means and, and you're right and it's available that they try to build a team that they try to build i mean you almost tr treat yourself like a pro athlete if you really love this and you think you're going to go far in it or you want to go far in it yeah. like get it get a good strength coach Get a good medical doctor, get a good trainer, you know, get a good psychologist and try to get them all on the same page. Maybe introduce them to each other. Don't you think that's probably good advice for if you think you're going to be a good athlete in this sport? Yeah. Well, I think it's it's hard. You know, every every situation again is different. But I think that if you're a young athlete trying to maximize your potential, I think that trying to attack it from a number of different ways is really important. And, and we're doing some of this work at Twin Cities Orthopedics now in recovery from ACL reconstruction, for example. We're trying to, to do testing and incorporate even things like sports psychology, like you mentioned, and, and just trying to get everybody to have all the resources that are necessary available to them as they sort of recover from these things and hopefully prevent these things from happening in the first place. 
So I think it's uh, ideally, I, th I would hope that we can get to a spot where you don't have to hunt all these people down individually, that there's just sort of a setup that you can have these people available in, in an organized manner. And I think that that way you can sort of keep the quality high and, and facilitate communication between different groups of people within, within that group. And, uh, you know, hopefully that would make everything easier, but, but you're right. I think it's a really hard situation to navigate, especially if you're a parent going through it for the first time and, you, and your kid's really good at it, you know, trying to navigate that can, you know, you're probably mostly going by advice of people who, you know, and, and, uh, they, they, they may or may not have your best interest in mind. And it, it's just really difficult to know, to know how to work all that. So another topic we'll move on to is like to hear your opinions on like the current state of uh, player, you know, modalities and player development, like how we're developing these players with weight training, uh, you know, any type of sp uh, plyometric or speed and agility work or, or, mm -hmm. you know, um, Pilates, yoga, whatever. I mean, is there any, is there anything or is your your philosophies on how these players should be developed? Do you see that improving in the game, um, or, or or not? Yeah, I think it's definitely improving. I think one of the challenges is that there are a lot of different different groups or or different companies out there that are sort of advertising sometimes directly opposing viewpoints, and I think that that makes it hard for for patients to for young athletes to navigate. Uh, but I think that overall, of course, you know, anytime you're working on improving whole body strength and improving coordination and, and all that stuff, I think it's going to be beneficial. And, and hopefully it, we'll see in the longer run that it can sort of level off this increase in injuries that we're seeing. I think, I think we're not yet at a point where we can make an educated comment on if it's doing that or not. I think it's definitely helping kids improve their skills. Uh, but I think ultimately the, the ultimate goal would be to be able to do that along with decreasing the risk of injury. Right. I mean, here's the thing. To me, any type of loading or weight training can be a double-edged sword because you're going to increase performance. And all the studies show, for example, like when you when you increase throwing velocity, risk of injury goes up. So it's, that's, yeah. it is that kind of double-edged sword. But it, but ba but uh, you know baseball's solution to everything is let's throw the baby out with the bathwater let's just get rid of all of it, um, which I don't like because you know there's that's never going to work and ultimately that I think that opens up the doors for more PD use. Yeah. Um, but but do you find like like weight training don't don't you find it it's been beneficial to the game or not? I think it has been. I, I think that you know sort of. In years gone by, I think the the traditional way to train for pitchers was to not lift much. Right. And I think we've definitely seen that over the past maybe 10, 15 years or so, there's been a shift in focus to really improving strength and, and all these sort of things. And it's definitely shown, of course, in average fastball velocity in, in Major League Baseball and, and obviously filtering on down to the college and, and high school ranks. Um, but I, I think that, like you say, it's a double-edged sword. So Dr. Andrews would often talk about when you're throwing 90 miles an hour, you're basically redlining the UCL. Right. And 
so as we gain strength, you're seeing some you're seeing that we, perhaps we're approaching sort of the limits of human performance as it pertains to pitching. And right. there was there was a discussion, you know, a handful of years ago in in football where we were seeing more ACL injuries, and, and that that was a similar discussion to what was happening then. You know, are are we just improving the the muscle strength and allowing athletes to move so much more quickly and change direction so much more quickly that we're reaching the limits of the ACL right. functional capacity. And I think we're probably having a very similar discussion around, around the shoulder structures and, and right. elbow structures that are being injured in, in these patients. And, you know, how do you, how do you make that better? I think that's hard. I, when I gave that uh, UCL lecture a couple of months or a month ago or whatever it was, I, told a little story about how, you know, when you look at the UCL during surgery or in a cadaver or wherever you see, you're seeing it, it's really not a very big structure. You know, it's about the size of a medium sized paperclip. So it's not, it's not big at all. And I like to go fishing sometimes in my spare time. And so I was in a fishing store walking through and, and I saw the, like the display of different kinds of fishing line. And, you know, of course there's, you know, two pound test and five pound test and all this sort of thing. And it kind of hit me like that's kind of the same as different people's UCL, right? So we can, we can spend all the time we want trying to optimize mechanics and everything, but probably on some level, some patients have a UCL that can withstand anything. They could throw for years and years, you know, Nolan Ryan or whatever, and, and just never have problems. And some people have just kind of a less bulky or robust UCL and you know, they get to 15 years old and they're spent. So but, I think that's but isn't kind of that. But isn't that tissue threshold? Doesn't that go into all soft tissue? Like some people are going to be more prone to even muscle tears, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think that that's true. I think that the the only difference was I, in my in my explanation, I guess, is that I think in, in for muscles you can improve the muscle strength by by lifting and training and stuff and sort of your inherent ligaments ligament strength is pretty much what it is and you don't have a lot of ability to affect that by okay by yeah training. well I mean that makes a good point but I was just saying like I think that's the challenge too for even all soft tissue is that um, you could do the same thing as another guy and be oh, more yeah. injured right absolutely true and it, and that's you know the 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 sort of cookbook approach to stuff i think that that makes it really hard it's gonna like you say i think that doing everything the same way for every person is you're gonna get some who really benefit you're gonna get some who probably doesn't make a lot of difference and you're gonna get some people who are gonna get hurt and i think that's where the the really skilled uh training training people who are really skilled at training others are the people who can discern who's going to benefit from what group of exercises and what types of training and try to figure that out quickly. And, and those are the people who really excel, I think, in my opinion. That's why I believe assessment tools in a coach's, um, you know, method is, is really important. If you're not assessing and measuring, you're really not going to know who's different and, and therefore yeah. how to train them differently. Absolutely. We'll go into, um, so, so as far as like, you know, we, we heard Ron Darling make a big stance against, too much heavyweight training, and then we heard Smoltz make kind of a same statement. What mm. What's your statement on it? Do you, I mean, do you think are you going to throw the baby out with the bathwater, or do you think we just got to get better at doing it? <laughs> yeah, I I think it's your, the second part of your statement. I I think that you know there are probably things that 
the Ron Darling and John Smoltz generation did different from the generation of pitchers before them that they would have said the same things about, right? So, you know, the, the game evolves. And, and of course, like you said earlier, you know, we've clearly shown that if you're able to, to do the training and uh, get through everything and, and not get hurt, hopefully, you know, we know we can make you better. And there's at this point, there's there's so much money involved in these sports, even from a young age, you know, scholarships and recognition and those sort of things. And then obviously the, the benefits at the higher levels uh, that it's really hard to tell somebody when they're seeing their counterparts on other teams or, you know, other players their age to do all these things. It's really hard to tell them, ah, no, you don't need to do that. You know, and they're, they're seeing their friends jump in velocity and, oh, you don't need to do that. Don't worry about that. I mean, I think it's it's really hard to uh, talk the high end level, the high end athletes out of doing those sort of things. Right. So, what's where's your stance on? I like to call it extreme throwing programs, like max distance yeah. throwing, high intent throwing, or, or more high intent like weighted ball throwing for velocity. Mm-hmm. What's your stance uh, with uh, with these programs? Yeah. So, I think there's probably more work to be done on trying to figure out where they can be beneficial. The, the, you know, there's been one study that, that I know of anyway, looking at weighted baseballs and it wasn't a huge group. I think there was less than 20 pitchers in, in each group, but it's interesting because they were all adolescents, right? So they were all like under eight, 18 years and younger. You're talking so about the really Reynolds study? Sort of, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and so that, uh, is sort of a group that I see more of. And, and in that group, interestingly, they uh, gained a little bit more velocity. It wasn't quite statistically significant, but they get, did gain a little bit more velocity in the group that used the weighted baseballs. But it wasn't because they gained the ability to turn to move their arm faster. The angular velocity was no different. It was because they gained external rotation. And we, we know that uh, extra external rotation or gaining external rotation allows you to throw faster. So I think some of the common thought initially on weighted baseballs was that it would strengthen your arm and allow it allow the arm to move faster to just push the baseball harder. And that doesn't seem to be what this study is saying. It just seems like you gain some external rotation that allows you to throw harder. The downside is that uh, about 24% of kids in that study injured their elbows. They had a couple of UCLs and a couple of stress fractures in the group of weighted baseballs and no injuries in the in the group that just did normal muscle. You even had a guy crack a rib, which was (laughs) unbelievable. Yeah. So, you know, I I think that, you know, I'm pretty cautious when people tell me that they're thinking of doing that stuff. I say, you know, gosh, you know, I, you got to be pretty careful. And anytime you're feeling anything pain, pain wise, you got to shut it down and, you know, at least take a rest and, and maybe take another approach there. So I, it's probably not something that I'm advocating uh, hugely at this point, but, you know, probably a little more work to be done to sort of answer the question with any sort of definitive uh, data. The problem is, are they going to do another study after that Reynolds study? Because yeah. now you, I feel like you have an ethics issue because you injured yeah. a lot of kids in that study. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's a very good question. I, I think that you know, perhaps it could be done at a, a little bit higher level uh, if somebody would be willing to do it so that it's not adolescent kids that, that they're looking at. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it definitely it's a yellow light proceed with caution to me for sure. Right. And my, my thing's been just because I've studied it for years and I tore my rotator cuff and I wanted to figure out what went wrong. And 
and I can really see now the better approach. And, and I, I mean, I've, I've, I've always, I feel like I've been on this road, but I see it in the data. Like I see one study by SMI shows that college pitchers had a faster internal rotation velocity of the, of their arm than pro pitchers, but yet mm-hmm. ball speeds were higher. And then mm-hmm. you see the same thing where pro pitchers based on their body weight can put, they put less torques in internal rotation torques on their arm than even youth pitchers based on their body weight. Yeah. So I'm seeing poor correlation of arm torques and arm speed to velocity. Not only that, there's studies showing that an increase in arm speed and arm torques is an increase in risk of injury to the arm. Yeah. So and then yeah. and then you look in um, these mechanical correlations, biomechanical correlations. For example, timing of hip to shoulder separation allows you to increase ball velocity while reducing stress to the arm. More forward trunk tilt at pitch releases, it allows you to increase velocity while reducing stress to the arm. So I really believe, and this is what I've worked hard to map out, is that you, if you don't take an arm speed, arm strength approach, if you take a kinetic chain approach, you know, making your kinetic chain more efficient, making it optimized, you know, ranges and movements better, then you are able to actually get to the the two things you want. You're able to throw harder with either not increasing stress or maybe even reducing stress i mean do you, does that sound yeah. a fantasy to you or do you believe that this um, that this is true no i it's clearly true i think that there's definitely an efficient way to transfer all that energy and to throw hard i think the the challenge is is trying to meet out the factors that are important within within that group of movements and trying to get those to be reproducible for people who aren't currently doing those movements and and uh, yeah, I mean, it's, absolutely, that's where we need to go for sure. The problem is, is the later approach, this approach is the long-term approach because now you're having yeah. to work on every joint in the body as opposed yes. to just the arm approach. So don't you think the reason we probably haven't gravitated to this a better way is because it's people want that instant fix, that instant gratification? Do you feel like that's a, a problem? For sure. I think that anytime you're trying to address multiple things at one time, it just adds a layer of complexity, both for the for the athlete and for the person who's trying to direct them. And so it's it's hard to accomplish all that and allow for time. You know, we're we're sort of both in the world of give me the immediate result. Right. right? I mean, every, every day I'm in clinic, I've got 20 patients saying, Doc, I want to be better today. And it, you know, it doesn't always quite work that way where things are immediate you need to sort of have have time to for everything to work so i i think it takes a while to to get to the root of the thing but i I think that's where we have to go and and hopefully we can figure out a a way to get there more easily and more reliably and reproducibly but i think it's hard i think it's really complicated and I, i think that that's why there are so many different ways to think about this and ways to approach it and and I think, you know, five years from now, eight years from now, or hopefully sooner, you know, we're, we're going to have a much better handle on this. But uh, getting there is a lot of real small steps when you have to go a long ways. What do you say to the kid that comes in and, and like you said, that wants to be healthy today and is the typical kid, he's in season, he's got a ton of elbow inflammation, maybe even shoulder inflammation. He's weak, he's lost strength in the joints, and he's in pain but he wants to pitch this week. Yeah. Like not only, I mean, of course I know you're going to tell him about this week, but what do you do? How can you really help a kid get out of that rut or that really hard place? 
Yeah, that's one of the more challenging things that that I see, and and I I've just sort of gotten through the period of time where I see that. Most of the time where I see that here is sort of, you know, February to early April when kids are ramping up their throwing in anticipation of their season. And I can't tell you how many kids I saw this year. They would come into my clinic on Tuesday and their arm hurts, you know, their shoulder or their elbow hurts, and they maybe tweaked it over the weekend trying to throw hard. And I say, well, you know, we probably need to shut you down from throwing from a little bit here, get you into some rehab. And and then the response is, well, tryouts are Thursday. And you're like, well, you know, I, I can't make this better in 48 hours. You know, this is going to take a little bit more week, a little bit more work than that. And that's a really difficult discussion to have because, of course, that's not what they want to hear. And and I think that, that goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Is you sort of have to to build some trust there and and convince them that hey, we're all on the same team here. We want to build you to be the best player that you can be, not just two days from now, but two months from now, two years from now, you know, two decades from now. And, and that can be hard, uh, but it's it's a worthy goal. Right. What's your um, opinion on anti-inflammatories? You know, there's there's a there's a school right now of thought that, and, and there's a lot of science behind it that you know obviously you know inflammation is good, but is there yeah. a point of too much inflammation? Should we be quick to prescribing anti-inflammatories? Do anti-inflammatories have negative effects outside of just the muscles? Like uh, I, I found stuff that even it's harder on your gut. If is there an alternative? Like because you know anti-inflammatories is the quick thing a lot of doctors want to go to, and it, it does it gives quick yeah. results, but is this the is this the better approach and and can you give us an understanding of really how inflammation is is helping or hurting the body yeah it's a that's a great question and i don't know that we really fully understand the answer to it uh at least as far as i'm aware i i think that you know probably some inflammation is is okay and is probably good uh i think the challenge is is when patients are painful and, and they don't want to experience the pain I, I generally try to stay away from anti-inflammatories in these patients unless they're really hurting and sort of really need it for pain relief. I, I have not prescribed as much simply for trying to get them back quicker or things like this. And, and you, I mean, you could have debates even about things like ice and, and other sort of time-tested treatments that are now coming under some scrutiny about whether they're beneficial or not. And, and all of this is good. All of this is good, of course, trying to advance our knowledge about these things, but it, it, it's hard to know what the, what the right answer is. I, my, my gut is that probably some inflammation is needed to, to help with healing of these tissues that are sort of injured on a micro level during throwing. Uh, and to your question of, you know, is it harm hurting or helping? I don't know. Uh, it's hard to, to know exactly what that is at this point. There are some animal studies that show maybe it's it's not allowing for healing, but nothing that I'm aware of in humans yet anyway. So it, it, that's a great question. I'd love to know the answer, but I don't know that we're quite there yet. Well, you see a lot of the, there's this new business that are selling these cryo, cryo, cryotherapy, uh, like freezers that you, you, yeah. you stand in and like, man, every, it's like the trend. Have you seen these? Yeah. And everyone's, I, I have. everyone's there's doing there. it. I mean, what's your opinion on this? I, again, I you know science sometimes lags behind the lags behind the technology, and I think this is another instance of that. You know, I I think that there are some ideas that it you know makes some sense behind it, but it it's certainly not anything I've been running to use to running to to use just yet. 
hard to know. I, f- I mean, I, f- I feel like some people respond better to ice as an anti-inflammatory than others. Um, but I do believe, I typically tell them don't ice longer than 15 minutes because you start pushing into the effects of hypothermia, which can actually heat the joint again. Was, would this yeah. be correct? Yeah. Yeah. I, again, there's some different, different science. It probably depends on, you know, how cold the ice is and how, how long you have it on there. If you have it on there directly, how deep the struct tissue structures are that you're trying to ice and all these sort of things. So there's probably a huge number of variables there, but yeah, I, I mean, I think that, you know, the, the counter argument to the ice, of course, is that the ice is going to constrict the small blood vessels in the area, which, which doesn't allow for as good a delivery of oxygen and other nutrients that are needed to try to repair tissues. And so, you know, it might decrease swelling, but it's also limiting the reparative uh, process that goes on there. And so, I mean, that makes some logical sense too. I I don't know that we have enough real data to answer that question, but I I think that there are logical arguments on both sides. Yeah. But I I just found the challenge, I guess I'm more on the ice side. I just, I I definitely don't believe in too much of it. I just, because the the thing for me is, is I think the underlying foundation of that, you know, ice is bad is that the, the body is, is the perfect healer. And, I, and I'm not going to say it's not, but I also know that autoimmune disease exists. And therefore, sure. in the case of inflammation, wh- your body could kind of overreact, like in a case of an autoimmune and, and overinflame. And then if you look at the studies there, it actually starts to eat up good tissue. I mean, so it's, it's sure. you can't really say the body's perfect at that, can you? No, I, I don't think so. There, I'm sure there's a fine balance in there somewhere. And and, you know, perhaps in, in the coming years, we'll be able to figure out on a person-to-person basis, you know, what's going to be best for them. And, and that would be the goal. But to your point, I think people respond differently. And, and that's why I tell people, too, you know, if you're going to use anti-inflammatories, it's probably best to use them for a relatively short duration. It's probably not something we want to use long term. Uh, you know, ice is good in, in some measure as well. And people are, and I tell people, you know, you're, you're going to see how it goes. And, and if it works for you, great. If it doesn't, then we may need to find a different solution for you. Yeah. And a lot of kids want to use them pregame, you know, kind of yeah. avoid the discomforts. It's probably not the best idea, right? Yeah. Pitching through pain is sort of, uh, or, or throwing through pain is usually not the greatest idea. I think there was the study that showed like 36 times higher rate right. of injury if you're fatigue. regularly pitching with fatigue or pain. And, and that can be, uh, something we want to avoid obviously well all really good stuff doctor i appreciate it anything that we missed that you'd like to throw out there yeah nothing nothing major i think you know the biggest thing like i said earlier is just communication and and, you know i think if uh if parents have concerns and i kind of tell parents in these situations and other situations if if your parent's spidey sense is going off there's something that's just not right here you know keep looking for answers uh you know I would encourage them to, to seek out uh, professional care, whether that's an athletic trainer or a physician's assistant or a, a sports medicine physician, but try to see somebody who has some background in, in this area, especially if you're dealing with overhead athletes, because it's a, it's a particular subset of athletes that have some different needs that uh, can be addressed by someone who knows them a little bit better. So I think communication is such an important thing. And, and, you know, listen to the kids, if they're telling you their arm hurts, you know, maybe, uh, maybe it's important to, uh, to listen to them and, and, uh, get some details and watch them close and, you know, try to avoid ah, just get back out there. You'll be fine. Kind of thing. I think that that's where we run into trouble sometimes. Uh, that's what caused my rotator cuff injury. <laughs> sure. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. I think, 
I think that's a big, I think any discomfort in, in a kid's arm needs to be checked out. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So how can they find you? I, I, I'd like to offer them an opportunity to reach out to you. Yeah. Are you comfortable with that? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, on Twitter, my handle is at uh, Ryan Hess MD. Um, and then I, I have a website, just ryanhessmd.com. And the, the practice that I'm with is uh, Twin Cities Orthopedics. So it's T-C-O-M-N, uh, M-N for Minnesota. Uh, so T-C-O-M-N.com. And, and I'm, I'm available through there. But Twitter is probably the easiest way. And I'm happy to, to reach, uh, respond to people if they have questions or concerns. And uh, this is a complicated area, as you and I have been talking about. Obviously, we've been talking for around an hour here. And, and we've raised as many questions as we've had answers. So I, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's unclear around this but it's uh it's good to know that there are other uh smart people and and people who have a passion for doing this out there that really want to see things get better because that's what it's going to take i think it's going to take it's not an easy answer it's not something that's going to be answered overnight it's going to take the work of uh, of a lot of different people and and i'm glad to know that there's other people that are working really hard at this out there so i appreciate the opportunity to come on and talk about this and uh, keep up the good work thanks doctor i appreciate it man well i'm going to end it right here and uh wish you the best